As a parent, you know all too well that parenting is fraught with many challenges and difficulties. There is no such thing as a professional parent. We are all amateurs. We learn on the job. And you're dealing with human beings, with children. And you're the human being, the parent. So there's so many unpredictable scenarios. Setbacks. Unexpected obstacles. How? How can you become a better parent? In this third and final part of this three-part course, How to Raise Happy Children, we will be discussing parenting tools, problem-solving, and challenges. Hi everyone, Simon Jacobson here, and I'm pleased to present the third and final part of this three-part course, How to Raise Happy Children, Parenting Tools, Problem Solving, and Challenges. This program is dedicated by Michael Caputo in honor of Eliane Nayon. So after we've discussed in the first two parts, in part one, the beauty, the inherent power of a child. What is a child's true nature? And in part two, the sacred mission of a parent as a gardener that tends to the garden, ensuring that the flowers and fruits blossom in the best possible way, uprooting all the negatives and allowing that child to spread its wings and be the best possible human being. So now we're going to be discussing in this third and final part, specifics, tools, parenting tools, what we can do and what we should do in different type of situations when faced with challenges, expected or unexpected, How do we problem solve and how do we deal with these challenges? Because it's very clear, as every parent knows, that parenting is fraught with challenges. There are unpredictable situations, unknowns. There's no such thing as a professional parent. We are all amateurs. We learn on the job. And we're not going to be perfect. There are going to be many mistakes that are made. You're also dealing with not any static situation. You're dealing with living entities, children. Each child has its own personality. Children react in different ways. There's no cookie-cutter model. And we too are human beings as parents with our flaws. So the dynamic is a very mobile one, a very fluid one. How do you deal with problems, challenges, difficulties, and everything that will come our way in this powerful and sacred duty we have and mission of being good and excellent parents. So let's address, firstly, several general principles and then apply them 
to different situations. Whenever there's a problem, there's always two ways to address it. One is a short-term, remedial, symptomatic approach. You, get, you cut, you put on a Band-Aid. You have a headache, you take a painkiller. Advil, Tylenol, aspirin, whatever. And then there's dealing with the root of the issue, the root of the problem, which of course is far more secure, far more sustainable, far more reliable. Now at times we need to deal with things short term. You can't always solve the entire picture at once. But I will be pointing out that true parenting is of the latter nature. You want to really deal with things on a root level. There's another two distinctions in this context. Dealing reactively or proactively. We want to be proactive parents. You want to be a proactive parent. Not wait till there's a problem and then try to solve it. But you want to anticipate, preempt. What can you do to avoid the issue in the first place? Going back to the analogy of the gardener, the gardener and the garden, you don't want to wait till some predator or some germ attacks your flowers and fruits and begins eating away at it. You want to make sure that the fertilizers and the nutrients is all, are all in place to prevent and preempt problems. Now, obviously, when a problem comes up and we did not prevent it, we have to deal with it on location on that moment, either with the symptoms or the roots. But above all, the best parent is the one that anticipates, that preempts. So let's talk about that in more specific detail. What does that mean? How can you prepare and create the fertile ground, a healthy environment that will preempt and prevent? So you may recall, and I'll just summarize it briefly, when you understand that a child is a soul that needs nurturing, needs watering, needs nourishment, and encouragement, and that you're the gardener with the sacred duty of doing that, the first preventive thing you do is that you constantly, you don't wait till there's a problem, you pay the attention and you foster that confidence in the child from the youngest age. You may recall, we spoke about every morning and every evening, not just saying I love you, but infusing the child with a sense of confidence in its indispensable mission, in the indispensable, unique, and exclusive role this child has to play. That is a single one act. Do that early on, on a daily basis. You've created an environment that is the best preventive medicine possible. Guarantees? No. But raising, lowering the, uh, the risks? Absolutely. Because you're building the armor you're building the security, you're building all the tools the child needs to be able to deal with issues of trust, with issues of duplicity, of exploitation, of people trying to take advantage of your child, of a child being vulnerable and defenseless. You're giving that child all it needs when you have that encouragement. Ongoing, ongoing, never cease, never take it for granted. One of the big mistakes many parents make, it's not even deliberate, they're so busy trying to provide security for their children. Two jobs, very busy, day and night. All to what? To provide security, but they're not there for their child. 
They're either not even home when the children come home, have a nanny or someone else. I'm not saying don't have one, but you need to see it as a priority. Your children are your future. Your children are your legacy. They are you as it goes forward. So to provide security by taking away security is not necessarily the solution. We must think about this on an ongoing basis as a parent. That's one tremendous preventive element. And not wait 15, 20 years and say, oh, I wish I was there with my children more. I wish I... You can't turn the clock back. I'm not saying this in a threatening or ominous way. It's just the more you do before, the more, like with a garden, the healthier the garden will be and the more beautiful the fruits and flowers will blossom. That was point number one. What else can we do on a preventive level and as well as dealing with the roots? So let's talk now about attitudes. One of the big challenges with children is when children misbehave. We all agree. When a a child is behaving, it still needs nurturing the child, the boy or girl. And it needs everything, love and all that we've been discussing. But it becomes more acute and more pronounced when the child is making some trouble whether at home or at school. So there are two general ways that parents deal with a problem. One way is a child comes home from school, I'm just going to give a case study, a scenario, which is not uncommon. And the child, your child, your little boy or girl, little or age is not that relevant here. At this point, we'll soon talk about age a little further down. But your child comes home and your child did something which was not appropriate. The child hit another child. Let's just say that. Bullied another child. And you get notice of it, either through a parent, another parent, the school, or your child. Or the teacher calls you and said, you have to discipline your child. Your child did something really bad. Some parents lean toward the approach, my child can do no wrong. If something happened, it's the fault of the other child, of the parents of the other child, the school, the principal, the teacher, everyone but your child. That's an approach that some have. Maybe it's affecting your pride, your, in, or your own insecurities, or it could be laziness. You just don't want to address it, so you just it's never our problem. The other extreme are parents who are strict disciplinarians. Oh, you did that? You will be punished, you'll be grounded, and, you turn, and the parent turns into a, into a force that demoralizes the child. Now, both these approaches, I think once you step back, we can agree, are not appropriate. The first approach means your child will never be accountable. Yes, we're talking about you've established that your child is at fault. Obviously, if there's no clarity in that direction, find the clarity. If it's indeed not your child's fault, that's important to state as well. But we're assuming that it is. So an approach of just saying, my child can do no wrong, you can end up creating a monster, a spoiled brat who's always going to be protected and never have to be accountable. So there clearly is not an appropriate approach. On the other hand, the disciplinarian approach of total anger and punishment and punitiveness that demoralizes the child creates even a bigger problem. Your child now feels miserable about himself or herself. Has it helped? Yeah, they may be afraid of punishment. That may be a deterrent. But have you really developed a child that will be a better child? You may actually be damaged, causing more damage because now the child feels like worthless, like, a, like, a, like, a, like, a, like a garbage. 
And then if you keep doing that, demoralizing the child, the child, every time something happens, the child will lose any sense of self-esteem. So where's the balance between these two approaches? Parenting tool. There's a third approach. Using Kabbalistic terminology, the first approach is called chesed, kindness, love. It's necessary, but it needs to be measured. It needs to be tempered and determined. At some situations, that's not appropriate, like I said. You can't just show unconditional love. You have to always have unconditional love, which we'll talk about in a moment, but you can't always show it without the child has to be accountable. So gevura is the accountability, a more disciplinary approach. The third and the balance is a combination of both where you recognize there's no discipline as an end in itself. Demoralization is never good. So what is the third approach? It takes more time, it takes more patience and more energy. It's not a quick fix like the first two can be. It takes sitting down your child and saying, listen, my dear, I love you the depth of my heart, unconditionally. You have so much to produce and give in this to this world. You're God's gift. But you did something which was not right. In that type of tone, deliberate, not in a tantrum, not angry, not trying to in any way intimidate the child, speaking from your heart, cry. Maybe you should cry. You, I cry for you because you have so much beautiful potential. You're such a beautiful flower. When you behave like that, it's so not, so not you. And because of that, and I want you to be beautiful, you're not going to be on the computer for an hour. Or some other deliberate, not extreme reaction, commensurate to what happened, the child's not going to be happy. But if it's infused and saturated with love, then you have the best of both. What are you doing? You're saying it's out of my love that we need to be accountable because that will make you a better person. Now, the child may not fully understand at the time. No one likes to be grounded. No one wants to be punished in any way. But if you say it the right way, that will be remembered by the child as well, especially as the child grows older. So it's not this extreme everything goes. And it's not just demoralizing discipline. It's motivating. And you add that. And should you behave better, I'm going to reward you. Right now, we need some accountability. But when you behave better, I will reward you. So what you're doing is also giving motivation. You're showing the child we can learn from mistakes. And it doesn't hurt to say we all make our mistakes. You made a mistake. Now, you let your child speak as well. Depends what age the child is. Because you want the child not to feel that this is, you're the authority that's punishing the child, even with good intentions. You want it to be a grow, growing experience. Now, why am I elaborating? Because this isn't just about trouble. This is an attitude in general. When we're faced with problems, the first thing that happens to a parent is your knee-jerk reaction come, comes into play. Your impulses your reflexes, whatever they may be, for good or for bad. If we heard our mother or father screaming at us, we usually start screaming. That's what we learn to do. If we learn from parents to just let everything go, that's what we do. The key thing is not to do, rely on your reflexes and impulses. An automatic pilot. Be deliberate. Think about it. The problem should be isolated and you, the parents, should not become part of the problem because of your personality of how you react, either by not liking confrontation or too much confrontation. 
too much discipline or no discipline at all. It's not about you and your personality. It's about the child and what's best for the child. So parenting tool, number two, well, I should say number three, if we take the preventive that I mentioned, is it's not about you. Take yourself out of the way. Or bring your best to you the table. Your compassion, your kindness, your intelligence, your reflection. Show your child how you think about it. Identify with the child. So then the problem is still a problem, but it's isolated. How many times have I seen the problem like anything? An infection begins very small. It begins to fester, being ignored, or bringing our personality, whether denial or whatever distortions we go through, that makes the problem much bigger. So the approach is to isolate it. Something happened, your child did something wrong, going back to that case study. Okay, this is what happened. I'm not going to overreact, I'm not going to underreact. I'm going to think it through and take your time. Nothing has to be done in an emergency, except if it's an emergency situation, obviously. And find that balance and make you sure that you get your reactions and your emotions, whether it's disappointment or shame or just trying to, to cover up, all that should be gone. What is best for this flower? What water does it need? What weeding does it need in order to grow in the best possible way? And make sure you convey it in that fashion. Now this, of course, you'll say, I don't really have time for that. that I have a job. I'm, I'm, at the end of the day, I'm exhausted. I want to go to sleep. But your children take number one priority. These are your flowers. These are your fruits. So when you think of it that way, it's not just a problem that happened in school. Think of it now in any situation. Your child, your teenager is getting into trouble with drugs, with alcohol, with things that you think are destructive. Here too, which approach are you going to take? You can just ignore it and say, I hope it goes away. You can become this extreme disciplinarian and just intervene and disrupt the child's life, the teenager's life, to the point the teenager says, get away from me, you know, I don't want to be near you. They may say it or not say it. And then there's the third approach of understanding that every problem has to be contained and seeing what's the best approach and not let yourself and your tendencies become part of the problem. Now, is this an automatic fix? No. But it guarantees that it won't become worse than it needs to be. It also guarantees that you will bring your best to the table and you're not going to exacerbate the situation. Now, if there are two parents, which we hope in every situation there are, father and mother, it's important to speak to each other. You may learn from each other. That's parenting next tool. Talk to each other. Learn, because one parent may have this type of personality, another different personality, different reactions. Some may be more compassionate. One may be more compassionate. One may be more disciplined type. Bring the best. Strategize. And you also don't want the children playing parents against each other. Run to mommy when needed, when to tati or father, mother, dad, mom. So creating a united front is very, very important as well. And again, going back to the earliest years, the earlier, the better. Any problem that comes up, you employ and apply these suggestions, as guaranteed you'll come up with better solutions. The next, don't be afraid to ask. 
Because as subjective parents, we don't always see it clearly. Especially when you're immersed in it, you're in the throes of it. You can be blinded from, in many different ways. Don't be afraid to ask a trusted friend, a mentor, an intelligent person you can communicate with. It's good to have that. Does it mean you're depending on them to solve your problems? No, but they can complement and bring to the table ideas, suggestions, perspective that you may not see on your own. That's another element. Each of these tools that I'm describing all contribute. They all complement each other. There's not one that's going to do it. Now let's talk a moment about age. Children of different ages and children of different temperament. Several children. There is no one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter model. A human being is a human being. Just like you are unique, so is each of your children. Their ages are different as well. So there's a very powerful verse I want to cite from the book of Proverbs. It says, educate your child according to his or her way. His or her way. So when he or she grows old, they will not waver from it. What is this his or her way? What is his way, her way? I mean, if you have an education with moral values and standards, it's not according to the way of your child, it's according to these standards. There's a nice, there's an etiquette, what is considered a proper etiquette, what's not a proper etiquette? What is this his or her way? Why is it subjective? Because the key to all beautiful education, like a garden, is tailored and catering to and customized to each individual according to their way. The standards and values may not change, but different children respond differently. Some are more emotional, some are more cerebral, some are more creative, some are more antsy, some have more patience, some are more academic and respond, read well, others are more eccentric and creative. And it's not about right or wrong, or good or bad. Each child is a unique flower, a unique fruit, and needs to be nourished and nurtured accordingly. That's another big mistake, another parenting tool. I think we're up to number six, is to recognize that distinction. It's easy just to put all your kids into one group and just, we're feeding them all the same way. But it doesn't work that way, especially in the emotional, psychological, and spiritual development of your child. Each child has its particular style. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't overlap. And what is in common may be much more powerful than what is not in common. But that nuance of recognizing the unique can be the difference between life and death, literally. So understanding your child and recognizing its personality and adjusting to it. This doesn't mean you're compromising. This doesn't mean that you are in any way in any way, compromising other children. Obviously, if you have, let's say, a special child who has special needs, so then you may have to give more attention, but you want to make sure the other children don't feel neglected. That's something to be discussed. It needs its own elaboration. But I'm speaking now first of customization. And let your children know. Like sometimes you can say, you know, maybe you should go help your little brother with homework tonight or the other way around. Try to find the strength of one child and encourage that child to share that strength with other children. The weakness, to be complimented. Make your children partners is the next tool. 
in the process. And no, of course they're not the parents. And they don't wield that authority, they don't have that maturity. But in a, in a subtle way, one of the beautiful things you see in a family unit, it's not just the father or mother in a healthy family unit are doing the right things. They encourage the older children to be part of it. So it becomes a type of symbiotic and harmony amidst, 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 amongst the different family members. And again, all according to each person's needs, all according to each person's talents. And of course, each age. So don't, as a parent, remember children change and children are different from one another. Recognizing that and tailoring, customizing whatever it is that you're teaching that should be fit and that the child should respond well to it. That's a key. Let's talk about the next tool, listening. Do you know how to listen to your children? Listening doesn't mean, mommy, I'm hungry, I hear you. Listening often is hearing things that are not spoken. Subtle nuances, shifts. And sometimes, also, not everything has to be addressed. Now, children will go through bad mood or something. It doesn't have to be turned into a whole um, drama. But sometimes a shift, a little change in attitude can reflect something that happened to the child that the child may not be ready to speak about. You want to nip it in the bud. So you need to listen well. And listening is just paying attention. Getting yourself out of the way, it's not about you, but allowing the child to communicate. The communication may not be with words. It may be through subtleties. You may see the child somewhat clinging more, or the opposite, turning away, staying in their room longer. Look for those shifts in behavior early on. They usually indicate something. But don't immediately call, you know, call the police and the fire and everybody as in some type of crisis because it may not be quite that. It just keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. It's part of tending to your garden. So we've spoken about many different tools in dealing with problem solving and challenges, some more extreme than others. And it's vital, as I just said, not to overreact, but not to underreact. If you do see a problem that you don't feel you can address because your children either are not speaking or they're not ready to, sometimes children won't speak to their parents. It may be a good idea to speak to one of, the, one of their teachers or educators, maybe to a mentor. I find also that it's critical not to immediately just take your child, let's go to a therapist, let's, let's deal with that. That doesn't always work so well. To ignore, not to ignore, but not to over-therapize either, if that's a word. It's again that balance that's necessary. And when you pay attention, you see things before they become monsters. Like it is with the garden. You don't wait till the weeds grow over to great heights and then you have to start dealing with it. As you see some weeds developing, you nip them. You uproot them as soon as possible. I want to go back to the point of not bringing yourself into the picture. You may wonder, one second, who else should I bring in? This is me. So the key thing to remember when you're dealing, tending to a garden, yes, you bring your skills, you bring your personality to, to make this garden beautiful, but you don't get in the way. Your personality does not get in the way of the flowers growing or the fruits developing. What does that mean in simple English? Many parents project. 
their attitudes on children. The things we like and dislike as parents, as adults, we project. So if your child comes home all excited about something that you're not excited about, what you don't want to do is bring yourself, insert yourself in the picture. What are you so excited about? This is nothing. You devastate a child when you say that. The child worked hard. It may indeed be trivial. It may not even be that significant. But for the child, they built it. They colored it. They, they shaped it. The child needs that validation. To bring yourself into the picture, insert yourself and say, this is nothing. What are you, who do you think you are? These words, these dismissive words are killing words. They don't just not validate. They undermine a child's self-confidence. Now, inadvertently, once in a while, a parent may say something. Try not to. But if it's consistent, that's when you have a real problem. Do not bring your anger and your issues into your children's lives. Vital. Vital. I cannot tell you how many problems would be resolved were that not done. How many problems would have been preempted were that not done. Now, the fact of the matter is, as a parent, you and I and all of us have our blind spots. You may not even be aware how much you're inserting yourself. That's why it's good to get a reality check. Sometimes with a spouse, sometimes with a brother and sister, sometimes with an outsider, a mentor. To just get a good, from time to time, take stock. Be accountable as a parent. That's the next tool. Be accountable. Your children don't belong to you. You don't own them. They were given to you as a gift to take care of. Be accountable in this responsibility. Be humble. Recognize that you have a sacred role. Because the more honest and authentic and, ge and genuine you are in fulfilling that role, the better your children will be. Which leads me to the next point. Children see and hear everything. Many parents think, I'm an adult, I can keep secrets, I'm not going to say certain things, I'm doing it in the privacy of my room. There's a vibe, always a vibe. Even in the street, there's a vibe that you give off. In your home, the vibe is pulsating everywhere. Now you'll say, I don't see it, I don't hear it. It's felt. Children feel more than you'll ever know, especially impressionable children. Can they articulate it? Can they say, oh, I, I saw something? Not necessarily. Be careful how you speak, how you act, and even how you think. Bring purity into your home. Bring sanctity. Bring healthy attitudes. This is your sanctuary, your home. That environment, you want it to be as clean and as pure as possible. Removing as many toxins as possible. Like a garden. That vibe is in the hands of parents. When children live in that type of environment, they thrive. Consistency is yet another tool. People don't realize this. Children need consistency. They need to know what time I'm going to sleep, where my bed is, my parents are there. I know that I'm secure. I'm in the hands of people who care about me. When you disrupt that, you disrupt that routine of a child, you're disrupting their security and their ability to trust, their ability to rely on a structure. 
rely on a promise. Not even mentioning promises broken, being insincere, lying, duplicity. And I'm definitely not mentioning abuse, overt abuse, where you, when a parent can hurt a child. I know you can say it goes without saying, but I will say it. Hurting a child, what can I tell you? That's like taking the flower, not just not nourishing it. It's like taking the flower and tearing it apart. And not just once, but many times. That deserves its own discussion. The most horrible crime of all, a parent hurting a child, deliberately, consciously. I know if, some, if there's a parent listening to this who may be doing that, I appeal to you to do something about it. I know most parents in that situation will not listen to what I'm saying. They may not even listen to a program like this for that matter. They don't want to hear these things or they may think they're great parents in their own delusion. But in case somebody is listening, you have a grave and a very serious, I say grave in a good way, very important, important is even a weak word, a radically important, a critically important role to play. You have a life in front of you. That is your child. It's a gift. Should you feel that you cannot control yourself and how you deal with this child, go talk to someone. It's an unforgivable crime because children are defenseless to hurt a child. There is never an excuse. Even when discipline is necessary, as I said, that's not because of you and your anger or disappointment. That's because it's necessary to bring the right nutrients and to get rid of the toxins so the flower can grow. That's about the child, not about you. What can I say? There are people out there, they call them parents, they have children biologically, and they're actively hurting their children. I know it just tears my heart apart when I hear these stories. I mention it just for the full record here, because this is a course about raising happy children, and at times we need to talk about some of the more uglier and darker sides. But I want to move it back and shift it back to what I would like to believe is the more common scenario, that we are mortal human beings, imperfect parents, and we're trying our best, and that there's no direct and overt conscious abuse. There's much to do that can make you grow as a parent, just like we grow in other fields. We grow in knowledge, we grow in literature, we grow in science, we grow in whatever interest hat and um, hobbies and strengths you may have. You go to seminars, you go to classes, you grow. Parenting is also a growing process. Why should it be less on the list than, let's say, going to a course on carpentry or on cooking or on, uh, or on skiing? Parenting is, a voca- is more than a vocation. It's the most important one of all because it shapes lives. So continue to grow as a parent. Grow together with your children. The heart of the parents will return through their children, says the prophet. It's a symbiotic approach and relationship. You grow through your children as they grow through you. Embrace this sacred mission. See it as an exciting activity. The shaping of a life that will in turn shape lives ad infinitum. What other thing that we do has that type of perpetual impact, eternal impact? But 
It's difficult. Yes, it's much easier to go to a party, not to deal with a child and all its uh, unpredictabilities and tantrums. And yes, and it could be also a child, a nagging child, and other elements like that. But that's all part of the responsibility. That's, those challenges are all part of the growth of the child and your growth. Becoming a better gardener, a greater gardener. So, in sum, this three-part series is all about raising happy children. Raising healthy children. Raising children as they grow into adults that can actualize their potential to the fullest. With less fears and inhibitions and insecurities and lack of trust. On the contrary, a building that there's much trust and confidence and security and validation that we feed into our children every day of their formative lives. So the children that grow into adults, it doesn't begin when they're adults. It begins how we did it in the early stages. What you shaped when that wax was still warm will become part and parcel of the personality and of the character and all the activities and all the decisions that that child will make in life and in turn pass that on to the next generation. Is there anything that could be more beautiful than that? Anything more eternal than that? Everlasting? I want to conclude with his blessing, may you as a parent embrace with sensitivity and compassion and wisdom and intelligence your vital role that you are blessed with, the mission to be the gardener, to the garden which is your home, to the fruits and flowers which are your children. Be blessed to see much joy from them, nachas, be blessed to walk them to their own marriage with their soulmate as they build the next generation. And then see that continue into the next generation, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. May you, be, may you witness the spreading of the wings of your child as that child brings light into this world, a unique light, something that you can sit back and watch and say, wow, the effort that I invested in this was well worth it. Look at my child. And you in turn are a child of those that came before you. Learn from their mistakes. Learn from attitudes that perhaps were not the best to make sure not to pass them on. And from the best things, learn to amplify them and create this great chain, this everlasting chain from generation to generation as we prepare our children to enter into a brave new world and create a new world order, first in their own hearts and souls, and then in their immediate families, communities, extending outward a ripple effect. And in turn, the entire universe is really one large family. Eight billion people on this earth are single individuals like you and I, eight billion individuals. So the stronger the family unit, the organic unit, the organic family is the stronger it builds that which the light it gives off to others. And may we be blessed to all see in our own families and our extended families that harmony within diversity, that cosmic symphony of so many different 
instruments and music and melodies, but all coming together, harmony in that diversity. In a personal and global redemption. God bless you as a parent, that most sacred role you have, all in good health, with, with abundant livelihood, both material and spiritual, and bring that to building the most beautiful family possible. Thank you. This has been Simon Jacobson, a three-part course, Raising Happy Children. Meaningfullife.com is our home base where you can find a full array of programs, classes, courses, a robust schedule of events for different ages, for different interests, all helping you as an individual to live the most meaningful life possible, to actualize your potential, to discover and fulfill and realize your unique mission in this world. Meaningfullife.com Please visit us. Become part of our family. We become part of your family. Share, like, and let's spread this word and the light to everyone we can reach. Be blessed. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com donate.